Amen. Please be seated. God, we thank you for this time we have together today, and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would move through us mightily. So we welcome your spirit now and open up our hearts to you and ask you to open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to walk you through something that has revolutionized my faith. And it's Jesus' relationship with the Father. Jesus had a radical, powerful, intimate relationship with Father God that blows my mind every time I get a taste of it. And I haven't quite totally sorted it all out, but I want to go into it today. And before I do, a quick disclaimer. Throughout the sermon, I'm going to refer to God as Father. What I'm not saying is that God is a man or male, nor is God female. There's passages throughout Scripture that refer to God as mother as well. The reason I choose Father is because Jesus referred to God throughout his life as Abba, Daddy. Whenever I heard the word Abba, I think of a seven-year-old girl I saw running along the beach in the Mediterranean Sea in Israel, running through the waves and calling to her dad, Abba, 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 come play with me, come play in the waves. It's a word that expresses deep affection and intimacy, and we see this throughout Jesus' life. Take his baptism. When he came up out of the waters and he heard a voice from heaven say, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Wouldn't you love to hear a voice like that? And that was before Jesus even did anything in his three years of ministry that he heard that voice. With you I am well pleased. And then at his transfiguration, The disciples heard with Jesus, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And we see Jesus going away to spend time with his father and hear him constantly talk about his father's love and how that shaped everything that he did. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you, he said, so now remain in my love. And Jesus would always describe what he was doing in light of the father. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. It was in, through, and with the father that Jesus did his works of power. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. Powerful works of provision. And as we look at the story of Jesus' ministry over and over again, it's the father, Abba Daddy, that is Jesus' focus. The times where he gets so worked up against religious leaders and locks horns with them, is talking about who the Father really is when they would misrepresent Him. No, the Father's not like that. I know the Father. The Father's like this. And He would tell stories. Everything was about the Father because of the Father. Jesus' focus was the... You guys almost are on the same page with me. I'll give you another chance. This is incredible stuff, Jesus' relationship with the... But now here's the kicker. This is the thing that has revolutionized my faith. Jesus said, you will have the same relationship with my father that I have. In John 14, 12, he says, you, who? You, me, you will do the things that I, Jesus, have done. And you will do even greater things than these because I am going to the? And what happens when Jesus goes to the father? He pours his spirit out on all flesh. And this passage that Dana read for us this morning 
where Jesus talks about this relationship of intimacy. As the Father is in me, I am in you, and we are one. The early church was having a blast with this stuff. I think it blew their mind as much as it did mine. Think of all the different ways Paul's trying to describe it, trying to just get it into words, trying to talk about this reality. It's, we have the same relationship now that, the, that Jesus had with the Father. It's like, it's like we're the body of Christ, he would say. Or think about it this way. It's like we're clothed with Christ. It's like we're co-heirs, he would say. Jesus, the firstborn, would be the inheritor of everything as the firstborn son. But he says now we're like co-heirs. We, we get the same stuff he gets. Children of God adopted, Paul would say, in Christ, he would say over and over again, in Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He was coming up with every way he could think of to try to get this out. We get the same thing that Jesus got. We are the children of God, which means the same intimacy, the same power, the same presence. And I have seen it with my own eyes. Have I seen people physically healed, even people that I've prayed for physically healed? As I've seen people delivered from emotional, spiritual, and economic bondage. As I've seen people experience a deep peace, comfort, and strength in the trials of life. Because there are many trials. We're also promised as part of this inheritance to experience the sufferings of Christ. And people even rejoicing in those sufferings. People hearing God's voice, forgiving their enemies, overcoming fear. You ever afraid of what people think about you? You ever worried what people think at office, around school? Overcoming that fear because it didn't matter anymore because of the way God loves us. But here's the challenge that I've experienced as I've talked with people about this love of the Father. I think it's good news, and I've been really excited to tell people. And I've noticed that a lot of folks have walked away feeling maybe more discouraged than encouraged. And the reason they felt discouraged is something like this. Well, I don't experience that. I don't experience that in my relationship with God. And then the interpretations of why will come in closely after that. Well, maybe because you're special. And then they drop this one on me. Well, maybe because you're the pastor. It's like, I've only been a pastor for eight months. I've been experiencing this for ten years. You can't pull that one on me. Or maybe because the other people you're talking about that are experiencing this have read the Bible more. They've been more focused on God or they've given up more. Or something that says, something's wrong with me, maybe it's God, maybe this isn't my spiritual gift, maybe this isn't what God has for me. And so this morning I want to touch on the reality of this, but also on three reasons why we may not fully experience this reality. But before I hit on those three reasons, I'd like to say one quick thing, already but not yet. I'm going to have you repeat that one with me too. Already but not already we can experience this reality of relationship with God, but not yet fully. And you notice how I said can experience, and I didn't say should, and I'm just going to ask you to please don't shit on yourself. <laughs> I, should, I should experience this relationship with God. I should pray more. I should forgive my enemies. I should, I should, and all of a sudden we're shitting all over ourselves. We shit on other people, and then we're just up to our ears in should, and I keep, I'm still saying should, and it's a stinky mess. The reality is can can what was not available to us is now available it's possible because of christ already people are being healed but i've prayed for a lot of people and they're not yet fully healed already people are hearing god's voice but only in part not yet fully we have to be careful and discern well 
Already people are being set free from fear and from suffering, but yet not fully. I still fear. I still had trouble eating my breakfast this morning thinking about preaching. (laughs) We struggle and we still struggle. But there are three things that I've seen that block us from experiencing the already, the now that is available to us. The first is, is there's a reality where each of us, to some degree or another, really don't want it. And I think there's different degrees to this, but the main way this comes out is, is that the cost may seem too high. And we often think of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you. And Jesus saying, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And we wonder, oh, no, what's God going to ask me to do? The cost may seem too high. I might have to give up what's familiar. I might have to give up control. And then I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, we can end up like the boy who is in the alley in the city in the darkness of the shadows of the buildings trying to make sandcastles out of a mud puddle and the mud in the alley. And a man comes to this boy and says, hey, I can take you to the beach where there's real sand and where the sun's shining and you can hear the waves and the seagulls. And the boy looks up at the man and says... Uh, no thanks. I'm fine here. And we may think the little boy's crazy because we've been to the beach. But when we haven't been to the beach and we're just used to the alley and we don't know if we can trust the man that's speaking to us, sometimes the cost seems too great and we say, you know, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if things can change. The other is, is that the wounds and hurts that we have experienced in our life lead us in many ways to come in agreement with the way the enemy describes reality and the way that Satan tells us who we are. Have you ever had your arm fall asleep? I sleep on my stomach, so I'll wake up in the middle of the night and the whole thing, just the whole pretty big arm and I can't move it and everything's numb. Has this happened to you before? The same thing will happen to our hearts. Through the pains that we experience in our life, sometimes we will harden our hearts against it and we'll go totally numb. And when God comes near, we don't feel anything. And I like to tell people this when it comes to God healing our hearts because what happens when that lifeblood starts flowing back into our arm? You know, it's like, no, and sometimes we want to go back numb again. And for a little while it stings. And that's what can happen when God starts coming near and healing us because it'll stir up stuff. The good stuff comes in, the bad stuff goes out. And all of a sudden we're dealing with things that we've shoved for years, confessing things, forgiving people. And it can sting for a little while before we experience the life that comes. But the third thing that I think gets in our way, and this is the one I want to touch on most, is our beliefs. The way we see the world which has been formed in us at a young age because our beliefs shape our expectations. That shapes our behavior. And I have not learned more about this from anyone than my son, Sam, who's 20 months old. Like take, for example, the morning he woke up and he's picking up new words every day and he'll try them out over and over again once he gets a new word, that he woke up saying, mine, And within two hours, I think he said it about 250 times. Mine, 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 mine. And I looked at my wife at one point, kind of holding my head like this, going, did you teach him this? Who is he hanging out with? What friends are teaching him these kind of things? And then I had this memory flash in my head of when I was on my laptop computer and Sam was with me and he looked at it and he wanted to take a swing at it, literally. Hit it as hard as he could and see what would happen. And I said to him, no, Sam, it's mine. And I probably only said it one or two times before the little guy all of a sudden realized, when I say mine, no one gets to touch it but me. I don't have to share it with anybody. And so he got the word mine going in his head, and that's a real kick when, say, hypothetically speaking, you're at Barnes & Noble, and every book on the shelf 
is mine. He doesn't quite understand the concept that you have to buy things. He's my 20-month-old shoplifter as he runs out the store going, mine, 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 mine. He's not even asking me, I want it, I want it, Daddy, will you get it? It's just straight, mine. And we see this with little kids. It's like there are these sponges that are taking in all this data about the world around them, shaping how they understand things. Like my wife was speaking to a four-year-old that's a friend, a daughter's, a daughter of a friend of ours about where milk comes from. Where does milk come from? It comes from the cotton. Okay, where did it get, how did it get in the carton? Where did it come from before that? From the store. Okay, where did it come from before it was in the store? Totally confused. <laughs> and then my wife explained, milks comes from cows. And the girl looked at her like she was crazy <laughs> and said to her a very profound statement, whenever my mommy gets milk, she goes to the store. She does not go to a cow. So we left it at that. And that's the reality. If you play it out over a lifetime, we learn things and then get new information, relearn them. And all this is shaping our worldview and our beliefs. And when you throw that over a lifetime and you think about things like relationships, the meaning of life, God, happiness, and all of a sudden we have this whole system of understanding things. And we can relate a little bit to the people that experience Jesus in the flesh. Because Jesus was blowing people's minds, busting through all of their paradigms. Every time they'd stick him in a box, he'd jump out of it before they could close the lid. Like Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night. This is a religious leader. He knows his stuff. He is on the Jewish ruling council. And he comes to Jesus. Jesus, there's no way you could be doing these things unless you're from God. Clearly, you understand your stuff. And Jesus knows that Nicodemus is about to ask him some questions to try to help understand where Jesus is coming from. And immediately Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're not going to understand this unless you're born again. And what Jesus was talking about is it's not just earthly wisdom. It's not just human wisdom that's going to help you understand what I'm doing. You actually have to be born again from the Father, and the Father in heaven must give you new understanding by the Spirit. But poor Nicodemus is sitting there the whole time missing all this because he's trying to figure out, how can you get back in your mother's womb? If I need to be born again, I have to... This doesn't make any sense. And he just can't get it through his belief grid. And then I imagine the disciples and Peter out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a boat. Jesus was on the shore. He had sent them out ahead. There was a bit of a storm kicking up. And who comes walking on the water? If that's not going to bust through your paradigms. And when the disciples see him, you can think almost what's going on in their heads. It's like flipping through the card catalogs of life experiences. How can I connect this with anything that I've seen before? I do not understand this reality. There's no way this could be a person. Is this a dream? Is this an illusion? It says in the Bible, is this a ghost? There's no way someone could be standing on the water. And then Jesus gets close enough to him because they're totally freaking out and afraid, which I can relate to because often when God shows me something new, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, I often am afraid of it rather than excited about it. And Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, guys, it's me. And so then they recognize Jesus, but then he takes it a step further. He's like, okay, that's the Son of God. Maybe he can walk on water. And Peter's great in this moment because he's like, well, if that's you, God, can I get out on the water too? And Jesus is like, come on out. So Peter all of a sudden is standing on the water. Can you picture this? Peter is standing on the water, and then the winds start to kick up, and what happens? Peter starts to sink. And then he cries out for God to save him. And, and Jesus says to him, why did you doubt? Who did Peter doubt in this moment? It wasn't Jesus. Jesus is still standing on the water. 
And he's calling out for him to save him. Who did Peter doubt? Himself. And you can kind of hear his thoughts going through his head. This isn't my spiritual gift. This must be for somebody else. Well, he's the pastor. That's why he's standing on the water. I'm not. This can't be happening. I haven't read my Bible and prayed enough for this. There's things I did last night that if God found out about this, he would not let me stand on water. Whatever it is is going on in his head, and probably the reality is is that I fished this sea over and over, and I have never seen one man stand on this water. There's no way that I can stand on this water. And who does Jesus believe in in this moment? Yes, the Father. But who else does Jesus believe in? He thinks Peter can do it. He believes that Peter can do what Jesus is doing, even standing on the water. And so I want to say to us today that there may be things that we have not fully experienced in our own lives that seem outside of our belief, seem outside of what we've experienced in reality. And I just want to suggest to us that we let our imaginations open up a bit and think about the possibility that God is nearer than we ever could have imagined and good-er than ever could have imagined and that he may want to surprise us with his presence and surprise us with the intimacy that he wants to share with us and the empowerment that he wants to give us and so today we look at the passage that dana read jesus praying for those who will believe because of the disciples teaching who is that that's us jesus is praying for us Who's praying for you right now? I mean, that's enough right there. I think I can go home. Just think about that one for a while. Who is believing that we can be in relationship to the Father the way he was? Who believes that we can do what he did? Jesus. And in this prayer, he shows us a little bit of what it looks like. And I would love to illustrate it if I had the time by getting a few volunteers But I just want you to try to use your imagination a little bit as I read two pieces of this passage. It's one of those passages that's a little confusing because there's so many prepositions. You're just twisting around your head. It's like, what is he saying? Jesus' words, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Who gave Jesus the glory? The Father. What is this glory he's talking about? Being his son, having the power and authority to be able to bring a healing liberation, justice, to restore everything back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Father, the glory that you have given me, Jesus says, I have given them. Who's them? You. That they may be one as we are one. And this is the mind-blower part. I in them. Where is Jesus? In you. And the Father and you in me. Where's the Father? In Jesus. Where's Jesus? So where's the Father? And later in the passage, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, whose love? The Father's love. Father, the love that you have for me may be where? In you. In us. And I myself may be in them. And what happens when this reality starts to sink in and we start experiencing it? All of a sudden we might hear a little voice, a voice like our own but not our own, a voice that's not necessarily an audible voice but a calm, still voice that seems to be coming from 
inside of us, around us, that says, you are my child, and I love you. And when we pray for others, there's something inside of us that moves through us, something that's not us, but something inside of us, the very Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father in us, into others, and they are set free. Which makes me say, wow. So now what? God is near. This reality is made available to us to be his son and his daughter. So now what? Well, I would encourage us to do three things. To simply pray, come Holy Spirit. Show me the Father. The other is addressing those three things that sometimes get in our way. Have others pray for you. Seek out that healing that may come when our hearts are hardened and numb. And then also seek out those who have experienced this reality and rub shoulders with them and see if some of it might rub off on you. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you have come near in Jesus and now by the Holy Spirit. And we pray right now, Lord, as we take this moment, that you would make this reality real. Because we are here, God, because we want to know you. So I pray you would speak and you would show yourself and you would reveal your love. In Jesus' name, amen.